This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 274. Happy New Year, everybody. We are actually recording this episode on January 1st. And it is board game time. It is board game time. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife. And sometimes singer. That's me. Uh, uh, Apparently so. Yeah, Yeah, you got me singing on a couple of reviews. I, I did, yes. <laughs> well, welcome to 2022, everybody. Here's hoping 2022 is better than 2021. I feel like we always want the next year to be better. You always yes. kind of want to be looking towards the future, yes. right? Uh, but especially these last few years, that is something that we are desiring. This week on the show, we're going to talk about the things that we did like about 2021. Some things that maybe we got wrong. And Sometimes very wrong. some things we got right, but we'll find out about that later in the show. However, even though we have turned the page to a new year, we have not turned the page on my tendency to provide for you a relevant fact about the number of the episode. Anitra, would you like to hear a fact about 274? Of course I would. All right. So how do you think the cruise industry is doing right now? Given that I just saw something about a cruise where everybody left vaccinated and with negative COVID tests and then came back with a whole bunch of COVID on the ship? Probably not great. Yeah, so (laughs) listen to this. So Royal Caribbean International, you've heard of them. I I have. They have just announced plans for its first world cruise in the 52-year history of the company, and it's going to be one for the record books. The cruise will depart in December of 2023. So if you still want to get on there, you can probably sign up. The Serenade of the Seas will be undertaking the company's first world cruise. Scheduled to sail round trip from Miami, Florida, the cruise lasts 274 nights. Wow. That's a really long cruise. It is a really long cruise. The longest world cruise undertaken by a cruise ship. The normal passenger capacity of this ship is 2,143 people plus 832 crew. So it's right around 3,000 people. It will visit all seven continents with more than 150 destinations in 65 countries. Wow. It's not actually, this surprised me, it's not completely out of the blue. These things have happened before. Around the the world in 180 days? Well, yeah. In the early 20th century, Cunard Line had cruises that lasted 170 days. Yeah. The modern world cruises generally last around 100 days. The ultra deluxe cruises have lasted around 130. Region 7 Seas Cruises plans to run a world cruise in 2023 that lasts 143 days, while Oceana Cruises plans to run one that lasts 218 days. So it's not completely unprecedented, but the previous attempt for the longest world cruise started in August 2019, sailing from Greenwich, England for a planned 245 days. But That one was cut short by the pandemic. Sure. So here we go. December of 2023, Royal Caribbean is going for the record books with a 274-night cruise. All right. If you want to get a ticket, it's $61,000. Whew. 
And that's my fact about the number 274. Well, you mentioned $61,000. $61,000 is a lot of money, and you that... should start to save for it if it's something you want to spend. Yeah. And speaking of other spending, <laughs> did you know the best time to start planning for your holiday spending is right now? I am not psychologically prepared for this. Christmas was a week ago. Uh, yeah, we just got out of the holiday season. Right. But one common budget killer is, quote, one-time expenses that creep up on us even though we should know they're coming. An easy way to make sure your bank account isn't crying next January, even if it's crying now, is to look at how much you spent on the holidays this year, divide that by 12, and start putting that money aside as part of your regular budget, maybe even a little more because of inflation. As a bonus, when all those Christmas in July sales start popping up, or possibly Christmas in February because the ships finally got in, <laughs> you've already got some money set aside for buying gifts. To schedule a time to talk to First Move Financial, our sponsor, about other ways to take control of your finances, head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to set up a free initial 15-minute call. Awesome. Thanks so much to First Move Financial. First Move is going to continue to sponsor us into 2022, which we are super excited about, Woo-hoo. super thankful for. So thanks again to the team over there. They're doing some really great work. So we actually had a, a kind of a unique week in that we have played so many games that we're deliberately leaving some of them off of our list to talk about next week. Yes. That hasn't (laughs) happened in a long time. A really long time. A really long time. But we had two separate board game related events where we were actually able to get some stuff to the table. So let's talk about some games that we have been playing. Yes, let's do that. Um, I'm going to start with the games that I played on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. (laughs) One of the presents... uh, to our family from quote Santa Packs. Santa Packs. Yeah, that's me. I'm I'm Santa Packs. Was Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 2. And we did pull it out and try it on Christmas night. Yeah, we actually played a three-player game of this. So I played as Bloody Mary. Mhm. You played as Yenenga. Yep. And Asher played as Achilles and Patroclus because he is studying Greek mythology. He is all about Greek mythology oh, right now. It. He is loving it. Uh, really interesting. So let me put it you like this. If you played Goblin Fog and you liked Dracula, you will probably like Bloody Mary. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of similarity between those two characters, like a little slow moving, really powerful. Like that was what I felt with Bloody Mary. I constantly felt like I was playing from behind. I did end up almost winning. So I can't say that it was like a bad experience, but it was, it was pretty frustrating. It was a slow ramp up. It really, well... It was, and, you know, Bloody Mary's special thing is it's all about threes. No surprise. Ah. Yeah. So if you start your turn with three cards in your hand, you get an extra action. You get three actions. And a lot of the actions, like effects on attacks and stuff like that, are, oh, if this is your third action, it's worth X instead of its normal amount. Sure, sure. So there's a lot of trying to play the threes. But if you don't do that, like, it's a pretty blasé character. Sure. And... It was, at least for me, it was it was kind of tough to get into that sweet spot to make sure that you can really power on that. Like, there's certain other character mechanics in general that I just felt like were kind of easier to work with, like Little Red. I mean, her basket sure. mechanic. I just, I felt like there was something there that was a little bit easier to kind of work through and work around and stuff like that. Well, and I think this is like a lot of the characters we saw in Cobble and Fog, where at first glance, you could look at them and be like, okay, well, that seems kind of thematic and cool. 
but you're really going to need to see all the cards in the deck to yep. start really understanding what that character can do and how best to use them. Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. I mean, I definitely want to play more. I really liked the special kind of thing with Achilles where oh, man. once Patroclus dies, Achilles is way more powerful. Way more powerful. Way more powerful. I should not have killed Patroclus. <laughs> <laughs> I, it just, I, it's, that's a great thematic, yeah. you know, thing. I, I don't know enough about Yanenga or the Sun Wukong, the monkey god, yeah. to really know what is appropriately thematic or not. Although, we had Chris Leader on the show. Chris Leader helped design Cobble and Fog. Mm-hmm. He also worked on Unmatched Battle Legends Volume 2. Yes. I have a lot of faith in his ability as a designer. Yes. I'm excited. I will say, since I played as Yanenga, yeah, I don't know much about her or her legend, mm-hmm. but it was interesting to play something where you had multiple characters. Yanenga has two support archers, and everybody is ranged. So you really want to spend a lot of your time kind of dancing out of melee range of whoever you're fighting against and just keep shooting them over and over and over again from as far away as you can manage. Yeah, which is, of course, harder on a three-person you know, uh, yeah, three there were a lot of times where I was like, well, whose melee range am I okay with being in? Because I can't avoid them both. Right. Yeah, and, and that was kind of the other thing that was a little frustrating was that Bloody Mary had no support characters. And yeah. Patroclus was the support for Achilles. And then you had the archers for Yananga. So yeah. I really, I just constantly felt like I was behind. It was weird. But yeah. again, uh, you know. But by, you still by the end almost it, won. Yeah, yeah. So we will actually be putting together a kind of a formal review around uh, volume two. Mm-hmm. So look out for that because, um, yeah, I mean, these are our first impressions, but we're going to play some more. I also had a little bit of downtime on Christmas Day because our kids were super excited to see their aunt and spend time with her. Mm-hmm. So I tried out two of the solo games that you got me from the Button Shy booth at PAX. You're welcome. Yay! <laughs> uh, one was Agropolis, which... I mean, it feels a whole heck of a lot like Sprawlopolis, but there are definitely new things to keep an eye out for. That's pretty much what I had heard. Definitely seems to be true. I have not gotten a chance to combine it with Sprawlopolis, but I can see how that would be both really cool and also kind of really overwhelming. So I'm definitely going to play more Agropolis. I really enjoy that style of game with the card laying and the different objectives and all of that. I also played Ugly Griffin Inn. You're an Ugly Griffin Inn. Oh, wait. You're running a fantasy D&D style tavern. And you have a bar and an inn. Every round, a new patron comes into the bar. And then you have to choose somebody from the bar to kind of shunt up into the inn. And then you do all kinds of like looking at all the characters in the inn. Is anybody super unhappy and going to leave? look at all the characters in the bar, are they going to be really annoying to one or more of the characters in the inn? Because of, like, different races or different... Uh, Because of, like, like, every character has some kind of uh, quirk and also some kind of pet peeve. So if you have too many people down in the bar who are being loud or too many people down in the bar who are being smelly (laughs) or things like that, (sighs) then that'll... That'll cause people to leave the inn. Uh, the goal of the game is to get through the entire deck and then have, I think, five or six people in the inn at the end of the game. Okay. It's really tough, and there's 
a lot more reading than I expected as you read through all the characters as they come out. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed it. It's that kind of puzzle where you're thinking about, well, if I move this here, that'll help the bar. But then when he moves into the inn, this person doesn't like having, you know, XYZ on top of them, on the floor above them. So then everybody's going to get upset anyway. What do I do? Sure. So it was fun. I'm really glad to have it. I'm going to play it more. And it's solo only and about 20 to 30 minutes. I think it'll go faster in the future as I yeah, yeah, know yeah. more of their quirks. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I actually also played a button shy game because I played it with you. You did? And that was Skulls of Sedlek. Mm-hmm. This is a pyramid building game where all of the different kinds of skulls, depending on what they came from, I guess, priest or thief, thief or royal or commoner yeah, the or whatever. type of person yeah, that the, the skull belonged to. the skull belonged to. They all have different kind of scoring conditions. So like a thief always wants to be next to a priest, I think, I guess to atone for their sins or something. I don't know. The royalty always yeah, wants to be yeah, a criminal. A criminal will only give you points if it's next to a priest. Um, yeah, because they want to be like absolved of their sin or something. I don't know. Yeah. And there's like the lovers who will only give you points if they're in pairs. So mm. two lover yeah. skulls next to each other. Lover skulls. That sounds very strange. I, it, it is very strange. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. So anyway, the point is, you're trying to organize these skulls, and each card has two layers, right? And so as you build your pyramid, sometimes you just don't get the cards that you want, and yeah. you know you, you have to play stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty interesting puzzle that sometimes you can control and sometimes you can't. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting mechanics in there that I like, that it's not just, oh, pick a card and then figure out where to put it in your pyramid of skulls. There's also that like dig mechanic where you're yep. revealing from two piles at once and then you have to take from one of them. Mm -hmm. So I like it. It's oddly thematic and it works well. And hey, game schoolers, this is a actually educational game based on a real place, Sedlec, where there is a real mausoleum and there is all this crazy like artwork and sculpture made out of human bones. Yeah, you know what's kind of creepy is there's a bunch of those, like ossuaries, yes. where there's lots of human bones. Chandeliers stuff. made out of skulls. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I kind of want to go to one, but I kind of don't want to go to one. It's weird and creepy, but also cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, weird is a side effect of awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whatever. Anyway, so that is Skulls of Said, like also from Button Chai Games. And we took advantage of the fact that it was Christmas week and, you know, there was less stuff going on. Less. And we actually got back-to-back -back sessions, not like back-to-back, -back, like immediately, but back-to-back -back nights where we got to play Quests of Yore with the whole family. Yes. All five of us sat down at the table and played Quests of Yore. So here's my take on Quests of Yore. This is an RPG. This is not a game like uh, a Mice and Mystics or a Stuff Fables or the new one, Familiar Tales, that's coming out or or one of those games or even like a Charterstone or something like that or a Gloomhaven where it's this really like guided adventure. Like, this is an RPG. Make no mistake about it. It is an RPG. Yeah. You can make your own character. You have to have a quest master to guide you through your quest. It can be very open-ended uh, depending on how your quest master is doing. And uh, we were not prepared for that the first time. Yeah, I, we really weren't. And so Asher 
is our board game. He's my board game buddy, right? That's yep. what I call him. Uh, he loves it. He was all, he's like, I want to be the quest master. I'm all about this. Da, 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 da. So I was like, cool, man. You read the rules. You tell us when you're ready. He said, okay, we're ready. So we all sit down to play. We kind of had our, there were some pre-built characters in the box, which is fantastic. Thank yes. you. Yes. And then he's like, okay, here's the book on how to play. I'm like, hmm. You were like, I, th- I thought you were ready. The whole point of this was that you were going to. So I say that not to, you know, speak ill of my son, but to say you pretty much all need to at least review in some way the 30 pages of mechanics. Yeah. That is not a bad thing, but you very much need to be aware. I mm-hmm. was not ready for that much preparation yeah. before being able to play. Now, here's what I'm going to say about it. If you have played Dungeons and Dragons before, this is way less complicated. Yes. The game heavily recommends some hand waving. Yes. If you want to hand wave, hand wave. The way the game works, generally speaking, is there is an approach and there is a technique. And if you use an item or something that is going to work with whatever you describe, then you might get an assist. And also sometimes other people can support you. So you would say to the quest master, I'm going to pull out my lyre and start to play a song that is going to tell the story of my group and how fearsome and terrifying we are. So those bandits shouldn't even come up to us. Yeah. And then the quest master is like, so I think you are uh, bravely parlaying or something like that. Yeah. So bravely would be the approach and parlay would be the technique. And then you would get an assist from your liar. And these are like skills that you have built up on your character sheet. So not everybody's bravely parlay is going to be the same kind of die roll. Right. But the way it's put together is for the approaches. So you it's things like quickly or bravely or, or socially. socially or yeah. whatever. There's a certain die type that you would roll. So for like the bard guy, it's probably a D8 at the beginning of the game. Yeah. And then for the technique parlay there's going to be a different die that you would roll so there's red dice for approach and blue dice for technique it's the same set of dice something like that and then the assist at the beginning of the game is usually a d4 so you would take those three that would form your dice pool and if there's a particular thing that you're trying to like like if it's an attack or something like that because literally everything follows this formula yeah uh if there's a particular thing that has a challenge value that you need to beat it's going to be in the quest master's book Mm -hmm. otherwise there is a scale that basically says if they're a novice this is their default challenge rating that they have to beat for a thing sure you probably don't know that because you didn't know because i didn't look at the question it's just it's just a scale and really this is just designed to put general building blocks in place but that's the mechanics of the game so largely speaking it is okay Describe what you're going to do. And the quest master says, okay, that is a brave parlay. So do that approach and that technique. And that's how you figure out which dice to roll. You roll the dice, you give the quest master a number, and they say, uh, this is how it reacted. So there's success and there's failure. And then there's big success, which is called fortune. And then there's big failure, which is called ruin. Well, and there's also the the kind of neutral result. Which is a little good for you and a little bad for you. Yeah, I liked that that part was kind of spelled out for the Questmaster because we ended up having to talk through how some of that worked. Because I like that as someone who played D&D a long, long time ago, 
it was pretty much like you fail or you succeed or maybe you you fail really poorly or succeed really well you know a critical failure or a yeah, critical yeah. success but it didn't feel like there was quite the range of options as there is here in quest of your like you're neutral like you've just barely hit the threshold role is like okay well like you injured the guy but he also injured you or so now like, like you're both hurt oh you know you hit him but you hit him weird so your hand is tingling so you can't make an attack next time or something yeah you know stuff like stuff that. like that right so i really like that part of it and it is a lot simpler than dungeons and dragons in that way right i mean because everything goes through the same system yes obviously if you pick it up and you kind of play through the narrative in the book you're handed the narrative that's yes. there, right? And you have all these building blocks. There isn't a huge source book that kind of goes with this. It's 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 a little bit smaller than, you know, if you think yeah. of the hardcover D&D source books yeah. or something like that. So that's nice. So the first time we played, Asher was the quest master. I kind of think it was a mistake because he had never done anything like it before. Right. And he had never played in something like it before. And I think that right. really was the problem. So the next night, I was the quest master. Obviously, we kind of knew the mechanics a little bit better. By the end of the second night, the kids were like, okay, I can see myself coming back to this. Yeah. One other thing I'm going to point out before we move on is that something that's really nice in the quest of your system for family gaming is that no one has to be seriously injured or die in this game. It's yeah, not, that's true. It's not hit points. It's not health points. It's instead something called grit. And you can very easily, if you, the adult, are the quest master, you can very easily make it so that if, like, the enemy's grit has all been taken away, that they're just super scared and they run away now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that's pretty common. I mean, that's, yeah. There's no defined way in which the enemies are terminated. In right, game. but it even suggests this within the, the rulebook where I saw. Mm -hmm. And I love that as a way to say, hey, we can do this roleplay experience and even have some combat in it. Without it having to be this big, heavy thing if your kids are not ready for that. Right. And, and I even like that they call it grit. Like, so if you've lost all your grit, you're just defeated and sullen and sad and you just, you can't bring yourself to I'm do I'm done, anything. man. You just have no actions. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. Right. So there's no, you know, oh, TPK, ha, ha, ha. Like, it just doesn't happen. It's like right. your party has failed. You go back to the tavern. The manticore laughs at you. The end. Right. I, I also really like that they are extremely clear about this is the end of this adventure. Yes. Like, it's not like, oh, well, do you want to keep going? Or do you want to push on? Do you want to, like, it is like, this adventure has ended. You like, did the thing. Now it's done. Right. It says, go the, back to town. The, I mean, granted, <laughs> this is following the narrative of the book and you don't have to do that. You, Questmasters can create their own sure. stuff and there's, sure. you know, there is a of system, course. you know, in the book but at least for the stuff that we're playing through, which is the main narrative quest that's there, it says your your team has finished their adventure. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you finish is it's pretty easy. You gain one reputation. So there is a, a like a 20 point scale of reputation that's going to bring you from novice to, you know, something less than something better than novice, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then you cross off a die on a, a technique. So you go up on your technique. Mm -hmm. The 20 point scale of your reputation has like five different sections in it. As you go up in those sections, when you go from novice, which is like four of them to the next section, then you get to upgrade and approach. Mm -hmm. So you get five approach upgrades across your 20 technique upgrades, right? Yep. When you get to certain better sections of the reputation, then 
it unlocks the ability to use the better dice in things like techniques. So you're going up yeah. with your techniques, but you have to stop at D8. D8 is the best you can get for the first two sections right. of reputation. It'll also so, unlock yeah. better items you can use yes, along the way. Yes, also true. Also yeah. true. So, yeah, there's a lot of flexibility there. We are having fun with it. I don't think I was expecting it to be so RPG. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I expected it to be a little bit more handholdy. I expected it to be closer to a Stuffed Fables kind of adventure. And less like a, like a Hero Kids. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that, that makes, yeah, that tracks. And, sure. and that's a system where there is so much material out for Hero Kids. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know what Hero Kids is, I want to say it's episode five of the Family Gamers podcast. It's something like that, Is when that, we yeah. interviewed Justin Halliday, the creator of Hero Kids, and we talked all about it. But there's a ton of content out there, and it's very inexpensive on DriveThruRPG for a, a great kid-based slash themed uh, dungeon crawl. So yeah, so we played a couple games of Quest of Yore, and it was a lot of fun. It was. We also started trying Chai. Yep. This is from Steeped Games. I got to meet Dan Kazmaier at PAX Unplugged, and uh, we ended up coming home with a copy of Chai and some super sweet uh, meeple cookie cutters. So now we have the meeple cookie cutters, and we have the meeple spatula yes. in different places, and I bought some dice trays from them. I did not expect the level of production quality in this game. Uh, yeah. So the components, the stuff is really nice. We we have, do have the deluxe edition. Of yeah. Work, but, but. but even like the cards and stuff are nice. Mm -hmm. The pictures are cool. Mm -hmm. There was definitely a little bit of a disconnect the first time we sat down to play this game because it looks like it's going to be fairly heavy. Like there's a lot of components. It feels like there's a lot of setup. The game itself goes really quick. Turns are very simple. Yes, very, very fast. So in Chai, this is basically a multi-currency set collection game or a multi-type set collection game. Yes. There are market tiles and then there are pantry items. And what you are trying to do is collect sets of market tiles and pantry items to fulfill orders for customers mm -hmm. who want some tea. You know, I mean, it, it's honestly like the theme is, is nice and the play experience is wonderful. We have metal coins that are just incredible the acrylic mm -hmm. tiles are fantastic all the you know rubber basket things or whatever they are like it's just it's got a great table presence it looks terrific but at its core like it's a pretty straightforward yeah game like this it's not it's not like an engine builder like the way something like a century is, right but it has that right. same feeling of like collect the things to claim the the golem or, or yeah. to claim the spice trader right yeah. it's got that same feel you're claiming a customer instead right but yeah but you're not building an engine to do it. You are trying to make the best use of the actions you have. Right. And kind of predict what's going to be available to you on the board when it comes around to your turn. Um, the more people you have playing, the harder it is to make those predictions. <laughs> yeah. But also the more choices you have of customers you can help. I don't know yet how I feel about this game. We have played it three times in the last week. Yes. I definitely enjoy it. I like how fast moving it is for being a big game. I think this is a game that at the end of the day, I'm probably going to come on the side of, I like this game. I like that this game is in my collection. I enjoy playing this game. You need to be aware of some significant caveats with this game. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. So it can be really easy in some cases for one player to start running away with the game. 
um, if they're pulling the right ingredients and sniping customers, basically. I don't know if it's so much running away, but it, it is a game where it can feel like someone's getting victimized because if if you aren't changing your strategy enough or just the right tiles aren't coming yeah. out, like there's, there is some chance. So like... I'll There's get, a lot of chance, yeah. and you have to be very flexible and ready for that. Yeah. So we played we played Quacks of Quedlinburg today. Yeah. We're not going to talk about those much, <laughs> but last we actually played it twice in the last two days. Last night I had a game for the ages where I was crushing it. Yeah. And, and then, this morning oof. we played, and in nine rounds I busted eight times, and four times I drew nothing but white chips. That's insane, but it can happen. Right. And a lot of people don't like Quacks because of that. I don't think it's as pronounced in Chai. I think it's it's hidden in the action selection. Yeah. But some of that is still there. I mean, there's always something you can do in Chai. But, I mean, you and I can both say in the games we played, especially the games at more than two players, I think each one of us had at least one or two turns where you look out at the board, you're like, well, all of my choices are bad. Right. The hard thing about it is that your actions, it's an action selection game, your actions that you can take are either market tiles or pantry tiles or reserve a customer, right? Yeah. So if you're trying to work towards a customer, but most of the customers are mixed currency, they're both pantry and market, you're, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to try to do this, but if four people are playing this game, that dude might not be there anymore. Mm-hmm. And like getting market tiles or getting pantry items, you can't do either one if you reserve the guy. So right. it's really hard to balance that stuff out. And that's not a slight on the game. That's just kind of the, the mechanics of it. And, and that's part of the strategy. But it can be it can be very frustrating. But it's also part of why the game moves so quickly. Because you're not... You don't have these kind of multi-part turns. It's like, no, I'm either going to the market or I'm getting these pantry tokens or I can reserve a customer and, and do a special power thing. And that's it. Mm-hmm. So you generally have a pretty good idea of which of those things is going to make the most sense for you. But it is really, really tempting to just keep going back to the market over and over again and buying more and more and more stuff. And that alone is not going to help you. Most of the time. Most of the time. I mean, it helps to have a stable of tea (laughs) tea stuff. I will say, like, it's really interesting because we just talked about all the stuff with all these different currencies and how you can do this thing or you can do that thing. And there's no combo stuff in any of that. But there is if you go to the market, because the way you buy tiles and tiles will kind of slide down as you purchase them, it creates a little bit of that potion explosion combo kind of feel. A little bit, And you get just enough of it to scratch that itch, and then there is no comboing anywhere else in the game. And that's part of why you want to keep going back to the market, because you're like, oh, I see those tiles, and if I... The puzzle of making them Mm -hmm. slide together and getting Mm -hmm. exactly... You know, getting more and more stuff, not necessarily exactly what you want, but getting more and more stuff feels really good. Especially for gamers, because like the dopamine hit you get for working out a combo <laughs> in the market tiles, yep. it's totally different than any other yep. kind of dopamine <laughs> hit you get anywhere else in the game. And so yep. it's like you constantly go back to it because that's what gamers know feels good. Yeah. Right. But th- there's a whole other game there that you should play. Mm hmm. So I, I, I mean, I. I think they really kind of touched on something there, and it's really, really fun. I also love trying to figure out who all the characters are on all the tea cards, because there's some that are like, oh, that's Jean-Luc Picard. Like, that is him. Or, yeah. that's Queen Elizabeth. And then there's like- Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, pretty Alice great. in Wonderland. It's like, ooh, who 
Who is that I, supposed to I be? Think that, is that Dan Kazmaier? <laughs> like, did he put himself in the game? That's a little meta, but okay. You know, but whatever. So we are really, really enjoying Chai. We're going to have to play it more because I'm, I am kind of mixed on, on that whole, like, I like it, but you should know thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of our job in reviewing these games for you, <laughs> dear listener, right. is finding out the things that are, hey, you should know this before you play this game. Another game that we have been playing that we've played four times in the last <laughs> four days is So Clover. Uh, yeah, so this is a party cooperative word guessing game, except you don't have the downtime when people are figuring out clues because everybody has their own board. Everybody has their own set of words that they're trying to clue. And so everybody is kind of silently working at the same time to figure out the clues. And then you go through a round of taking turns where one person is showing out their clover and everybody else is trying to figure out what belongs there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a game from repost Productions. They did just one and you kind of get the feeling like you're like oh this feels like a same the similar kind of a game in terms of just a lot of the major building block dna pieces to it yeah i love this game so much um it seems like i'm pretty good at giving clues in this game maybe that's you why definitely I love are it so much i don't you know definitely are i don't know but i really really am in, enjoy it i will say this this is the kind of game where do you remember poetry slam yes Oh, yeah. So one of the cool things about Poetry Slam, this is a game where you come up with a word based on some letters, and then you come up with a rhyming couplet mm -hmm. to give people hints of the word. And yeah. one of the things you can do in that game is you can actually give these tokens to say, that was awesome. Like, that thing you did was so great. Yeah, right, right. I remember that. And I almost wish that we had something like that in this game because one person, when we played this on Wednesday night, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. The the words that he had to put together were tennis and criminal. It's like, how do you, like, Bjorn Borg? It sounds like a criminal <laughs> name. No. But he what he did was, his clue was racketeer. But and he misspelled he it on purpose. Racket as R-A-Q-U-E-T. And it's brilliant. Yeah, and we were wondering if he misspelled it or something, and then and then it was a wait, aha wait, moment. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, oh, it was such a great clue. It was, I mean, maybe there's probably something in the rules about how you can't intend, like you you probably shouldn't do something like that. But I mean, you know but what? there like, are other is... clever clues too, though. Like the same guy did one; he clued emergency room, and it was roof, roof and, and ground, ground because he fell off the roof three months ago <laughs> if I you mean, combine roof and ground you're going to the emergency yeah. room <laughs> but I, I mean this is the kind of game where it's it's a light enough level where like just hand wave stuff like that like yeah just have where, like, fun with it are fine who cares yes. you know what i mean stuff like that so yeah i'm really liking so clover from repost it's a really fun game i think we're gonna have the snap for that pretty soon pretty soon uh one thing that i have to say a friend pointed out and now I'm never going to not see this again. So Clover uses the same kind of clue-giving muscles as Codenames. Mm -hmm. But it's completely cooperative, and you don't have to worry about that whole, like, oh, well, what if I clue you to the assassin or any of that? Mm -hmm. It's literally just, I want to give you the best clue I can to guide you to these exact two words 
and none others. It's all of the good and none of the bad. Yeah, and exactly. And it's a much easier teach. It's so fast to explain this game, and you don't need to find pens and paper and stuff like that because you're literally writing on the clover that you're using to hold the cards. It's just, it's just great. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. So one last main one. We were introduced to unusual suspects. This game is ridiculous. This game made me feel like a horrible human being. I mean, kind of. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, in 2021, which is when we played this, like, the idea of being visually prejudiced is like, ugh. So. I mean, it was funny, horrible. So there's a lot of similarities between Unusual Suspects and Similo. You've got a grid of characters and you're trying to find the the one who done it, basically. Yep. The clue giver starts with a little card that tells them where in the grid is the person they need to clue you towards. So they're not just picking it randomly. Right. And then everybody else takes turns guess well, not just guessing, but Playing kind a of question card. Yeah, asking questions. And the question cards are things like, does this person have a good singing voice? Or does this person have a tattoo? Yeah, stuff like that. But some of them are ridiculous. Like, really, really ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I f- felt like the like, singing voice was pretty... Like, does this guy own a selfie stick? Or yeah. does this person right. own a selfie stick? Does the person own a selfie yeah, stick? Yeah, yeah. And so, the clue giver figures out whether they want to say yes or no <laughs> to these really kind of random and weird questions. Mm-hmm. And then, you, the rest of the group, you can eliminate as many people as you feel like. Yep. But be careful because you don't want to eliminate the right guy or and girl. So that's pretty much the game is yeah. just this kind of back and forth. Like, but it's ridiculous because like the pictures are obviously caricatures. Oh yeah, right? big so time. There's a lot of stuff that you're like, ooh, that person was on Jersey Shore. Like that person, you know, whatever that kind of thing. Oh, he's a friendly old grandpa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's really the game is really all about figuring out what other people's preconceived notions are. Yes. That's the game. Yes. And it's just funny and kind of dumb. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. The same friend who showed us that, we then showed Similo. A lot of similarities. There are a lot of similarities. I like Similo for the simplicity. Mm. You don't have to manage three separate decks of cards to make that one work. Yep. But it's not quite as silly. All right. Well, I think that's going to be pretty much it for now. Um, why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we will welcome our new community members, and then we will get directly into our topic, which is talking about our favorite stuff from 2021. Woohoo! All right, we'll be right back. Excuse me, Count Dracula, is this the way to the Monster Bash? Why, yes, my pint-sized zombie friends. Take it right at the dungeon, and you'll find the ballroom crypt straight ahead. Monster Bash is a great game for two to four players ages six and up. It was designed by Andrew and Jessica Sears and published by May 15th Games. Cute illustrations provided by Robert Fike. Let's kick things off by talking about the Monster Bash's art. We absolutely love it. The monsters are super cute and family-friendly. I don't think I've seen cuter monster art in any game yet. 
Everything is very whimsical and ties perfectly together with the game's theme. I mean, I totally want a hug from the blob. 100% agree with all that. In addition to the font size and selection, the cards are really easy to read. You'll never find yourself squinting to read a card. And for monsters with older eyes, they'll really appreciate the bigger fonts. The art also covers a wide spectrum of classic monsters like the Invisible Man, ghosts, mummies, and vampires. They even toss a few D&D ones in like the Beholder and Slime. What about the game's mechanics? Monster Bash is essentially a hand management game, and to win, you'll need to be the first person to play all your cards. To do this, players are going to play cards from their hand that matches the number in the pile. Whoever has the slime ball card starts the game by playing it. It's a number one. And then players after that will need to play a number two, the third player number three, then four, then five, and so on. But there's a little twist. The value of the cards only go two through nine. So when it comes time to play a value of ten, you'll need to play multiple cards, like a five and a five, or a six and a four, to equal ten. There isn't a limit to how many cards you can play on a turn. There are negative numbered cards that let you subtract your way to the right number. Need a four? Why not play a six with a negative two? Managing your hand is the key to winning this game. As the number to play increases, use multiple cards to reduce your hand size quicker. So what happens on your turn if you can't play a card? Well, you're going to take the whole pile of cards from the middle of the table and add them to your hand. Then play the slime ball card to reset the count and pass your turn. Very ghoulish, for sure. Yeah, taking those gives me the chills. There are a handful of cards that will help you get to the right number combos, like ones with negative numbers 1, 2, and 3, and there's even a double value card that'll let you just double the value of the card, so you can make it an 8 become a 16. You can also spook your opponents with cards like Reverse, Skip Turn, and Swap Hands. So what did we expect from Monster Bash? I thought it was going to be one of those games where I'd be collecting points and not getting rid of cards. For me, I was expecting some kind of monster-themed party game. For some reason, it reminded me of the song Monster Mash. So I thought it might be a party game, or even a trick-taking game crossed my mind. From reading the back of the box, it does say family-friendly, and simple math was required. So, Izzy, what surprised us? Monster Bash is a fun game that played quickly. I absolutely love the artwork, for all the reasons we mentioned. It's something I could play with my brother or friends without an adult. And what surprised me the most is when you couldn't play a card, you had to take the whole discard pile. I thought that was pretty brutal. I would have thought maybe you draw an extra card like you do in Uno, but since there's no deck to draw from, I guess you're taking the whole discard pile. It's scary when that's a sizable stack. We played earlier today with four players and your mom, two games in a row, ended up having to take that discard pile with like something around 20 cards in it. <laughs> Sorry, mom. The only way to really mitigate this is to play the swap hands card or hope other players can't play on their future turns, which means they have to pick up all the cards. Now, there is a rule that if all players can't play a card within a single round, then whoever played the slime first takes all the cards from the discard pile, shuffles them with their hand, and then evenly deals them out to all players, including themselves, which is essentially a soft reset. However, we were never able to get this to trigger. Let me tell you, my mummy was hoping for that. Your mummy? You've ghosts to be kidding me, Dad. Are my monster puns lost on you today, or what? I guess if you got it, haunt it. <laughs> Anyways, that said, I do wish there were more modifier cards with negative numbers on them. Maybe that could have helped in different situations. And speaking of modifier cards, there are a few cards that offer two options. The Beholder, for example, can be played as a skip a turn, or flipped upside down, a number eight. I thought it was a really brilliant addition to gameplay. Would you say Monster Bash is a graveyard smash? I do think the game is fun and it would be a great after-school activity to practice your math skills. 
Who do you think the game would be great for? Kids and people who enjoy light games. I think even grandparents would enjoy this game, too. I also think it's perfect to pull out around Halloween time to get into that spooky spirit. How about you, Dad? I'm going to be honest. It's not a game that I pull out with other adult gamers, but I think Monster Bash is great for playing with elementary-aged kids. It's a perfect way to game school addition and subtraction. Huzzah for hidden math! I could see playing this with our youngest as an activity. Instead of doing math problems on a sheet of paper, it would make practicing math a lot more fun than the old-fashioned way, I guess you could say. Monster Bash is easily taught, and kids can totally play on their own. If you're a homeschooling parent, I would highly suggest picking this up as an alternative way to practice simple math. Let me tell you, if I was a zombie, I'd definitely want to eat the brains of people who play this game. Math brains are very tasty. So, Izzy, how do we rate Monster Bash? We rate Monster Bash... Three out of five cuddly blobs. And And that's that's Monster Bash Bash in a snap. And we're back. Mm -hmm. Before we start talking about our highlights of 2021, let's take a quick moment and welcome our new members. Absolutely. I would love to. I'll start us off. Welcome to Jessica. Welcome to LAMF Games. There's a new game company. They're just bringing their first game to Kickstarter next year. (laughs) Welcome to Jose. To Kathy. Kathy was the one who reached out to us on Facebook from Race to Stupid to go and eat some spicy nuts. (laughs) Welcome to Corey. And welcome to YTech. All right. Welcome to our newest members. 2022 is starting off right for all of you because you have just entered the best community on Facebook. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but seriously, head on over to the group and uh, talk about what you've had a chance to play this week. There is a very cute giraffe who wants to say hello. Well, let's talk about our 2021 games. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to close the book on 2021. So I-, I hope 25 or so episodes ago, maybe halfway through the year, we made some predictions. We'll start there. Why don't we do that? So, yes, in episode 250, mm-hmm. the Quarter K Show. It was June, so we made some predictions about the rest of the year, in part because we realized we had not done a beginning of 2021 predictions podcast. Right, which we should do, and next week we're going to look forward to 2022 with a special guest. Yeah. So I don't know if we'll do it then or not. I have no idea. We'll find out. So we talked about our most played games so far in the year, and we predicted what might be different in our most played games by the end of the year. Right. So we use BG Stats like so many of you do. And we're able to pull up insights about our 2021 and find out whether or not we actually were correct. Our actual predictions were not correct. They were not correct. My prediction was not that far off. Neither was mine. Both of them were predictions that we could have made correct in the last couple of days of the year if we wanted to, but we felt like we wanted to actually be honest with you. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So what was your prediction? My prediction for my most played game of 2021 in June was that... The game I would have played most by now would be a game that I had not played yet in June. Mm-hmm. I it. know that sounds c- confusing now. No, I got it. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> but I was not very wrong. My top two most played games this year were Blockness and Zombie Kids Evolution. Both of those were already in my most played games in June. <laughs> mm-hmm. so they just got played a couple more times and that kept them up at the top right. of the list however my number three is in fact a game that i had not played yet in june 
And that's Super Mega Lucky Box. Which is a great game. It is a great game. It's bingo with some strategy. Mm-hmm. And it has been so much fun to play, to teach. I have taught this game to so many people. And I can even play it solo. It checks all the boxes for me. You know, it's a really interesting game because I don't think I've talked to somebody who has played it and not liked it. I think that it's the kind of game where if you look at it, you kind of have a sense. I'm not going to like this game, so I'm not going to play it. Right. But if you don't know or think you might like it, you're going to love it. You'll probably love it. You know, you said something that reminded me of something that I feel like we should mention, which is one of the other things that we gave our kids for Christmas was Zombie Teens Evolution. Yes. (laughs) It has been one week, and I think they are almost finished with it. They have played it a ton. Well, Asher and Claire have. I think Elliot's gotten a chance to play with them once. Yeah, maybe? they have like one envelope left. They are so close to done with this game and it's been a week. So the actual playing mechanics of Zombie Teens Evolution apparently are quite a bit different. It's more about eradicating zombies mm-hmm. uh, than the other one. But the feel of it is still very much the same and the opening up new envelopes and doing new things and trying things in different ways to get those trophies and open new stuff. So yeah, they're, you know, crushing it. That was a huge hit. Yeah. If your family has played zombie kids, zombie teens should be, you know, right behind it. Yes. I just want to throw that one out there. Yeah. So for me, my prediction in June, I had just really fall in love with Merchants of Magic at that point. And yes. I was like, man, this is a roll and write that I actually sit down and play solo. It still remains the only game that I have played solo this year. Yes, I know. Uh, so that was my prediction, that Merchants of Magic was going to be the game. And pretty much just like you, almost exactly just like you, two games just had a little bit too much of a head start. I'm guessing one of those was Fleet the Dice game. One of them was. <laughs> And the other one was Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Okay, it makes sense because... And also, I usually play them together. Those kind of go together <laughs> with you and your little, you know, friend game group. Right. So, I dimed Fleet the Dice game, so I played that ten times. That mm-hmm. was my number one. Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, I have played nine times. Merchants of Magic, I have played eight times. I mean, that's real close, that's man. Really, that's real close. really close. So, there you go. I need to mention one other thing. Okay. In examining my stats for the year. I said my number one was Block Ness, probably in part because it is so approachable, it is so easy to explain, and both the setup and the cleanup are so minimal, which is great. (laughs) Which I appreciate. My number three is Super Mega Lucky Box. My number four is also a game I had not played yet as of June. In fact, it's a game I had not played yet in October. (laughs) My number four is Ice Duo from... Looney Labs, which I picked up at QsCon. It's got two little games in the box, and I have played it 10 times already <laughs> in six weeks. That's so funny. It's a great game to pick up kind of when you're sitting around waiting, and yep. it's small and compact, and, and there's a lot in the box. So let's do this. So BG Stats has this thing called the H Index. Now, mm-hmm. what's an H Index? The H Index is... You have played at least this many games. H number of games. The H, you have played H number of games at least H times. So my H index is six, which means that there are six games that I have played at least six times in 2021. Would you like to guess what any of those are? So you know the top three, I, Fleet, I, Pandemic, Merchants of Magic. So the other three. Yeah. It is not this cheating if I... since we last talked. It is not cheating if I look at my own playlist. So My City has got to be up there. My City is on the list. My City is number four at eight plays. 
I am going to admit I don't know because a lot of what's in my top eight or nine are ones that I played a lot without you and only a little bit with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's because you have more time to play games than I do. I mean, um, yes. So the next two are So Clover. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Zombie Kids Evolution. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so the reason why I brought it up is because we've already talked about these games today. So that is my top six. And then Hero Hockey came in. It's kind of my uh, my honor score, Hero Hockey, at number seven. Okay, cool. Do you want to know what my H index is? Uh, Nine? Eight. Okay. That makes me feel a little bit better. Is My City on the list? My City does make the top eight. Yes. So technically, there are nine games that I've played at least eight times. Bottom of the list is My City, Kators, and Grove. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You played a lot of Grove. I only had it for a couple of weeks, and then we had to send it on. But I played a lot of it in those couple of weeks. Yes, you did. I really want a final copy so I can play it some more. (laughs) It is my favorite kind of solo game. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked it. Yep. Well, I remember when we had Katya on, when she talked about Orchard, which was the game Mm -hmm. that kind of came before it, and they're very similar games. They're very similar, and Grove just adds a little bit more stuff to it. Yep. So, yeah, it's super great. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're me, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it, too. Yeah. I mean, there you go. Also tied at eight is Calico. Yeah. Calico is a great game. I wish I'd played it more. We've played together a little bit. I've played with the kids a little bit, Mm -hmm. and I've played solo a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna go ahead and ask everybody who's listening to this. We have Calico. We love Calico. Should I go out and get Cascadia? I, you that's tell what me, people, people say. You tell me. Tell us. Yeah, I want to know. I, I I do. I am asking for advice. The only other game up here that I hadn't mentioned yet uh, is Lucky Numbers. I played a lot yeah, of that. You played a lot of Lucky Numbers when we were going through the review cycles for that one. And my board game stats does not accurately reflect just how much i played because i at the time i also played a lot of it on board game arena to really really get it in my head Mm -hmm. i like the simplicity of lucky numbers it does not grab me as much as something like super mega lucky box though so let's talk about some more stuff with our lists from 2021 and by the way anything that we talk about i would love to hear what our community's kind of thoughts are, maybe on our stuff, or, you know, what are what's your H index and what are the games on your H indexes? I would love to see people talking about the games that they've played a ton of in 2021 in the Family Gamers community on Facebook. But I'm just kind of going through this and I'm looking at games that maybe we didn't play a lot of or or a game that has fallen out. Here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at a game that is outside my top 10. Okay that I want to play more. Okay. Go ahead. So like what game is number one on my list that I want to play more of that is outside my top 10? I can tell you what mine is and I think you're going to be surprised. Okay. It's Merchants of Magic. (laughs) (laughs) You want to play more of it? I do want to play more of Merchants of Magic. I'm I'm very, very glad to hear that. It hurts my brain a little bit, but I really enjoy it. Oh, it's a spectacular game. So I think that what I'm going to pick, and I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but honestly, Sola Fide. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, we had a romantic board game getaway the times that I played this, so maybe I'm like associating it with the experience, but I really liked it. It It's it's such a neat push-pull, huh, there's your term, ah. yeah, kind of area control 
asymmetric game. Like, it's just, it's really interesting, and it looks like it's going to be so much more complicated than it is. And I don't know, I mean, as Christians, we're Christians, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to play through this whole Catholic, you know, Reformation kind of situation. The it's, historical it's really aspect of it is, is it's really... Just, it just hits yeah. a lot of notes. It, it's really interesting. Especially when I can stick it to, uh, what's his face, the seller of indulgences. Tetzel. Tetzel. Ah. Tetzel, seller of indulgences. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's a game that I, I really would like to play more of. That and Marvel Champions. We picked up Marvel Champions. I have played it one time. I played it once, and I know it's, in my opinion, in my take, a better fit for me than Marvel United. And I haven't gone back to it yet because we have just other stuff to do. So we haven't even bothered to buy any expansions for it or anything because we just don't need to. We haven't played it that much, but Marvel Champions is a game I definitely want to get out uh, more. And San Juan, San Juan, yeah, another one. Yeah, that I would be happy so to play for, lots so more San Juan. One, huh? But <laughs> I picked one. Speak oh for yourself. Gosh. Um, yeah. So, so let's do this. Since I haven't bought any new games in 2022 yet, with it being the first day and all, what game that we have picked up in 2021 that is on our shelf of opportunity would you most like to play? Out of all of the games on our shelf of opportunity, I think there are two that I look at that I really, really want to play. Okay. And those are Gizmos and Taverns of Tiefenthal. Sweet. Well, we got Gizmos at PAX Unplugged, so we've only had that for a couple of weeks. That's barely the shelf of opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, it's still new to us. But yeah, I mean, Tiefenthal I've played exactly one time. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's about making beer, so I'm yeah. I mean, complain about that. I'm not like, oh, this is going to be the best game ever. It's just like, hey, it looks really cool, and I really want to play it. Awesome, sounds good. I think that the answer for me, honestly, mm, is probably going to be Sorcerer City. Okay, I mean, it looks really cool. There's something about it that just makes me like not super excited, but I'm always happy to play a game with you. Aw, well, it's a Scott Caputo title, and it's got a really interesting tiling mechanic that I don't think you really see in a lot of other games. And so, I mean, Taverns of Tiefenthal, it's a worker placement game, right? And right. Gizmos feels to me kind of like an iteration on Potion Explosion and Sorcerer City is completely different. Mm? So okay. that's kind of why I want to play that. I also heard really, really, really good things about Altiplano, which is why we have that. We got that yes. in a trade. Yes. So I want to play that as well. Sure. So I mean, in theory, we want to play everything well, yeah, on yeah, the yeah, yeah. shelf of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, Shelves of opportunity. <laughs> I have an idea. Uh, as one last thing for looking back on 2021. Okay. Let's go revisit the reviews we did where we decided these were excellent cream of the crop games. Okay, so this is the Family Gamers Review Retrospective. Yeah. We will revisit. There are four games that we did snap reviews of that we gave perfect scores. Five, five out, out of five. five. And there are Two games for which we did written reviews where we gave them a nine and a half out of ten. You know what I really like about the games that we have here? No two of them are alike. There's six games total. All of them are completely different from each other. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they are. (laughs) And I think that's fantastic because I really think that shows that when you start talking about games that can be played at a family level in some degree, there's one game on here with some content that maybe you don't want to share with, you know, the youngest kids in your family. Yeah. The opportunities and the mechanics are endless. You know, you are not stuck with your rolling moves. You're not stuck with mm-hmm. one kind of game or another. I mean, it's it just, it's truly impressive. I think the the breadth of 
functionality that you can get out of a board game that's suitable for that younger age demographic. So I think it's awesome. So let's get that potentially objectionable one out of the way first. (laughs) Um, One game that we rated five out of five was Detective Bloody Red Roses. Right. I suspect that we're just going to be impressed with the Detective series in total. We played a Deckscape game, which is a little bit different. Yeah. But Detective Bloody Red Roses, this is published by D.V. Gyoki. It's a kind of a mystery. It's a mystery game. Kind of thing. But there's some really neat stuff going on with the way you play cards out of your hand. Yeah, so when I look back at it, what really, really impressed us is this is a mystery game. You're solving a mystery. But unlike escape room games and some of the other mystery things we've done, it felt gamey. It felt like a game. Mm -hmm. There were decisions you had to make about what avenues to pursue and what to discard. Yeah, you had to discard cards to share clues, which was a really kind of interesting mechanic because it's not just... You're trying as hard as you can to gather all the information humanly possible. You actually have to make some decisions, which is really, really neat. In a completely different vein, Mm -hmm. we also gave five out of five to Combo Clash from Hub Games. Yeah, Combo Clash is just a really fun and interesting little combo game. Tile-laying comboing game. Yeah, tile-laying combo game with lots of, you know, the the, kind of the superhero-y... Animals. Animal creature things that you're constantly going back and forth and, and trying to create the opportunity so that you can set up a combo to trigger on a later turn. It, it was just so much fun. So much fun. Well, and I think one of the things that really pulled our kids in is this is a game that has sort of a fighting theme without any direct confrontational right. mechanics at all. Yeah, it's a tile laying game. It's a tile laying game. You're just trying to make the best arrangements of tiles that you can to make good combos. Yep. So that was really cool because it's got this very dynamic comic booky, you know, pow bam kind of art. Mm-hmm. But the game style is very different than that. But it wasn't a mismatch that took away from the experience. Right. It it, it didn't feel like a mismatch. It was just a like, oh hey, cool, this is a really great way to do this yeah otherwise it could have felt like a fairly dry abstract Mm -hmm. yeah the next on our list again totally different game (laughs) snap review was rhino hero jr this might have had the award for the cutest snap although i think that crown might be taken by the next one on it may be yeah um i did have some very cute helpers yes you did for rhino hero jr uh their favorite thing to do was to hold the Monkey, whose name I've now forgotten, and knock down the tower. <laughs> so much knocking down of the tower. <laughs> Love it. But that's part of the point in Rhino Hero Jr. That's like the dopamine hit for your two and three-year-olds playing this with you. Hey, I've done the hard work of trying to match stuff, trying to stack things and use my dexterity. And now the super fun part is I knock it down and we can go again. Yep. Our other five out of five snap review... Also super cute. Also super cute. Also great for young kids. That's the Disney It's a Small World game. From Funko Games. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I had no idea this game was going to be as cute and frankly as fun and as fast moving as it was. I was just, honestly, I was super impressed with the component quality of this game. Definitely designed for young kids to play with. This is a hard game to destroy (laughs) (laughs) through normal play right 
Yeah. I mean, assuming your kids aren't putting absolutely everything in their mouth, like our seven-year-old still is. But oh, my goodness. That, <laughs> yeah. The pieces, instead of just snapping and breaking, will kind of just pop apart and, you know, and not actually break. You just put yep. them back together and keep playing. So. And it's got rotating pieces on the board that have a really satisfying click as they slide into position. So it looks kind of like a roll and move game, but it's mostly a matching and set collection game and super appropriate for your three, four, five-year-old age level without being boring for your adults involved and it's kind of got a little bit of like a, a euro-y feel to it because the route that you're taking while you're in the boat kind of loops back on itself so it's not like it, you're it never ends yeah getting to an end so you play through the whole game and then find out who wins right so it's not like you're mm-hmm. playing I, I'm not to go back to Candyland but I'm going to go back to Candyland and you're looking at people that are you know infinitely ahead of you and it's just not fun because you know what's going to happen at the end. I mean, you could probably look at the stacks of cards and figure out who's winning, but you're just having fun playing the game. And, and the win part of it is removed from the core gameplay experience, which yes. is fantastic. Yes. And I think that's great, especially with younger kids, that mm-hmm. if you're going to play a game that lasts more than five minutes, make winning be something that's kind of incidental to the game. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's take a, a flip over to the written reviews that we do. And we had two games on this. We actually had a fair number of nines, but we had two games that truly elevated their game and were 9.5s for us. Almost perfect. Almost perfect. The first one of these was a lot earlier in the year, and this was Stop Thief from Restoration Games. Yeah, the new, the newest version. The newest version, yeah. So it was version two from Restoration, which I think the game in the box is the same, but the app has been updated Something like that. Yeah. I think they might have changed a little bit of what's yeah, in the box, but not maybe, a ton. Maybe a tiny bit. But Stop Thief is, I mean, it. of all of the games that Restoration has restored, Stop Thief and Fireball Island are the two that seem the most like the originals. Yeah, which is funny because the original Stop Thief used, you know, a talkie box thing, and now it uses an app. Right, but the logic is the same. The logic behind the game is the same, but because they use an app, you have all these other options now. You can play Stop Thief the traditional way where everybody is chasing the thief and whoever gets him first gets a reward. And then it's when you hit a certain amount of reward, somebody wins. But you can also now play it cooperatively where it's literally just let's kind of pinch your move and <laughs> make sure we get that thief. I had some real issues with the earlier version of Stop Thief and Reading the review that our writer wrote about the new version, I kind of want to go back and try it again now because it sounds like they've really mitigated a lot of the things that I had an issue with where I always ended up way in the back as if in Candyland. <laughs> we're just like, why am I even bothering to play? I'm never going to make it. All right. Awesome. And the other game is a game that <laughs> uh, is kind of also on my list of games that I want to get back to in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. And that is The Adventures of Robin Hood. We have been having so much fun with this game. Yeah. It just feels different than it really does. the other it, family games we've really, been playing. It really, really does feel very, very different. And I think it's, you know, I think I said this in the review. It's something about having the cardboard pieces flip over and not have dudes on a map. It just feels a little bit more permanent. It feels a little bit more like it's part of the fabric of the board. I think there's that. I think there's the not having super strict limitations on how you can move. Mm-hmm. Like you're yeah, not that's great. Too. You're not moving along a grid or anything like that. 
And I think the third thing is having that storybook as part of the game. Like, oh, hey, I found this guy. What does this guy do for me? Well, I'm in this adventure of the book. You know, look him up. This is what he tells me now. I think we only have three adventures left. So we should probably just knock that thing out and then we can, you know, give that away or something. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe. Maybe. All right. So I guess you could say those six games were our top rated, top recommended games this year. Detective, Combo Clash, the Disney It's a Small World game from Funko, Rhino Hero Jr., Stop Thief, and The Adventures of Robin Hood. All right. There they are. Those are the games, folks. So I think that's going to kind of conclude our look at 2021. 2021? was a surprisingly good year for games. It was a decent year. Um, It was surprising, but it was a decent year. It was surprising to me because there's a lot of stuff that should have come out this year that didn't and all kinds of other issues, and there was still a lot of really good games out there, folks. That's true. That's true. We are very, very excited for 2022. We've got some Kickstarters that haven't quite fulfilled that we're supposed to, and so that means we're going to get those games hopefully in 2022. That'll be nice. There's all sorts of stuff coming that a lot of people are super excited about. You're going to hear more about that next week on the show with our special guest. But we talked about a lot of the things that really the family gamers looked at and the way that we played games and the kinds of games that we played a lot of. We, again, would love to hear the games that really took up a lot of your time in 2021. And there's lots of different ways that you can reach out to us or to other people in the community to do those very things. You can find us, Andrew and Denitra, on social media at Family Gamers AA, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash The Family Gamers. Or you can go to that community that I talked about where we welcomed those new visitors by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community. If you'd like to communicate with us more privately, you can always email us, Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. You can tell me if you like my singing, hate my singing, or don't care. <laughs> I, that's I fine. I like your singing. I know you do. Okay. I'm glad you do. Right. I am, as we speak, wearing my The Family Gamers hoodie. So am I. So are you. They're warm and cozy. Mm-hmm. I like them a lot. Mm-hmm. You can find your own by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to The Family Gamers podcast if you have not already tell your friends about it and leave us a review somewhere public. Apple podcast would be the favorite, but you know, Amazon music, tune in stitcher, Spotify bulletin board at your local coffee shop. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) If you can find the family gamers podcast, you can talk about how great it is. We would love, love it. If you would do so. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points in 2022. Uh, I think that's going to be it for this week. I think that's going to be it for this year of 2021. All right. We are done. We're Adios. done looking back. It's time to look forward. So until next week, play, play games, games with, with your kids. kids.